0: Luke chapter number 15, and I'm going to begin reading at verse number 11. Now, most of you know just exactly where we're at, even by me just mentioning the Scripture reference. This morning, I want to preach to you on the prodigal son for a few moments. Luke chapter number 15, verse number 11. The Word of God says, And he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me "...with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, "'How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, "'Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants.' And he arose and came to his father." But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again." He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that You would bless the preaching of Your Word this morning. Lord, we know that You use preaching, so we ask that You'd help me this morning to be surrendered and submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that Your people this morning would be surrendered and submitted as You speak to our hearts and as You communicate to us Your will. Lord, we love You. We thank You for all that You have done. We pray if there's any amongst us, lost and undone, You'd show them their greatest need, Lord, that need of Calvary, that need of the forgiveness of their sins, and to be washed in the blood of Your precious Son. Lord, save that soul that's nearest hell this morning. We'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. In Luke chapter number 15, we approach a very familiar passage of Scripture. In fact, there's not very many passages of Scripture, if you've ever been in church uh, for any number of years, there's not many passages of Scripture that you'll hear preached more than the prodigal son. I can't tell you the number of sermons I've heard and the number of sermons that I've preached on the story, the parable of the prodigal son. It is a story of great loss and of great heartache but it is also a story of great love and great restoration. When we think of the prodigal son, undoubtedly we all think of the idea of loss. Can I tell you that sin can cause you to lose some things in your life? There's some precious things that we have that we ought to guard diligently and ferociously. If there's any point I could get across to young people as to the theme of my preaching and as to uh, one central thought that I could get them, it would be this. You better guard some things that you have in your life because the world is seeking to take them away. Let us look for just a moment by way of introduction. I want to show you three things that the prodigal son lost. Look with me at verse number 13. What does the Bible say? Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country. Notice this next phrase. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. This young man took the inheritance that he had from his father. Or could we maybe use this word? He took the blessing that his father had given him. You know, in the Old Testament, there was two things that a father would pass on to his children. One was the blessing, and another was the birthright. Uh, It was one thing to give a birthright, but to give a blessing dealt with a spiritual, prophetic thing, element, uh, a prophetic quality that a father, not every father, but that some fathers were bestowing. Uh, You see, uh, part of the uh, problem that Esau had uh, with uh, Jacob was not just that he had stole his blessing, it was that he had stole his birthright. Esau didn't care a thing about the spiritual blessing. He was just mad that he had got hold of the inheritance. Well, I think we see a dual thought within this passage, because there's no question that the Lord is talking about money. He's talking about temporal things when He says He wasted His substance with riotous living. But I would propose to you, child of God, this morning, there are some blessings, some treasures that God has given you that you ought to guard very carefully. Once they're gone, you don't get them back. This man lost the treasures... That he had. Uh, let me say that there's some decisions that we make that we can't unmake in life. Don't you know that's true? There are some things that we lose that we can't get back once we've lost it. I've always been struck uh, by something that Brother Kerry told me, and I've heard him tell it from the pulpit, so I'm not telling anything on him that he wouldn't tell himself but about times in his life when he wasn't in the will of God, uh time when he was in college and the way that he behaved and acted around those that were his friends at the time, and some of them were lost. I've heard him say himself, and it's always struck me, he said, I'll never be able to witness to some of those men effectively. See, that's something that he lost. Now, I'm thankful, and I'm not picking on him. He's a good witness, amen? He's a soul winner. But those men, that influence, that's something that was lost that can't be gotten back. That's a treasure. Your testimony, your, your ability to witness, that's a treasure that you ought to guard carefully. The, the purity of a young person's mind. Let me tell you something. The world is after our young people's minds so fiercely. Uh, I, we, we can't fathom sometimes some of the things that go on in society. I mean, you just watch the news and it'll turn you, your stomach sometimes. And you think to yourself, how could a person get to that place? Their minds have been twisted by the world's way of thinking. I'm saying there are some treasures that we need to guard because they can be lost. Let me say, secondly, that his testimony was something that he lost. The Bible tells us, in fact, let's read it. Let's not misquote it. Let's read it carefully. Look with me at verse number 15. The Bible says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Here's this young man. We presume him to be Jewish. I mean, the Lord is telling a parable to Jewish people. And really, if we were to just give it a strict exegesis of the passage, I believe he's talking about Jewish matters. I believe he's talking about the Lord being willing to save publicans and sinners while the Pharisees were lost and undone and their jealousy over Christ's attention. But nevertheless, we have every reason to presume that this young man was a Jewish man. What a a terrible place for him. Him to be there in the midst of the pig slot. If you know your Bible at all, or if you know Jewish culture, even today, when we talk about something that's kosher, we mean something that has been prepared in accordance with the strictures of the Old Testament law. And one of those dietary standards was that they could not have any pork in them. A pig was an unclean animal to the Jewish person, unclean, unfit to be consumed. In fact, when they wanted to talk derogatorily about someone that was not a Jew, they would talk about them as swine or as dogs. here this young man is, wallowing in the mire and the muck with the pigs. What a terrible testimony that is. What a terrible testimony! That, that is. I'm reminded of a story uh, of a uh, fella that was uh, an old drunk, and old sot was what they used to call him. Now we have a bunch of clinical terms for him. Uh, you know, they're they're, they're uh, alcoholic dependent. But used to call them drunks and sots. And uh, I remember one time the story of an old drunk that walked outside of the bar and uh, he passed out right by the pig pen. Bunch of pigs lay in there. One of them got up and said, "This kind of company will ruin your reputation." Walked off. <laughs> I mean, there was no worse testimony you could have as a Jew than to be uh, than to be associating with swine. His testimony was gone. That citizen of that country, that's the only thing he knew about that young man. He only saw him... Let me tell you something. There's people that see you at your most sinful, and that's the only time they see you. Testimony is shot. He lost his testimony with that man. It was gone. Let me give you a third thing, just just Introduction. I want you to notice that he lost his time. You know, the great tragedy is that when you got the most time in the world, you don't appreciate it. Some of you, and I won't say who, and I really don't know, but some of you are closer to the end of the road than you are at the beginning of the road. Most of you that are would admit it. And you, you look back at the time that is gone in your life. You look back at, at your history, and there were places and points in your life where you just squandered your time, and you can't get it back. Time is a commodity that is quickly vanishing from our inventory. I don't care who you are, you've got less time today than you had yesterday. You won't get yesterday back. Whatever you do today, it'll be settled, it'll be static, it'll be firm, it'll be determined, it'll be unchangeable by the time tomorrow comes. You have this time and this time alone. He lost his time. Really, it's a story of great loss, wouldn't you say? As you look at the prodigal son, we're always enraptured with the thought of everything that he's lost. But I believe if we read our text very carefully, we know that there were some things that he left home with that he didn't have with him when he returned. His treasures, his testimony, his time. But if we read our passage carefully, I think we find that not only are there some things that he left home with that he didn't return with, but we find out that there are some things that he did not have when he left that he brought home with him when he came. I want us to look in our text for a few moments this morning at five things that the prodigal son brought back home with him. Five things that he did not have before that when he came home he had with him. And can I just give you this opening statement very quickly? Sin has some consequences that can't be wiped away. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about this very thought. I'm thankful that God forgives, aren't you? Man, I'm thankful God forgives. What a mess I'd be in if God didn't forgive. I'm thankful that our sins can be separated from us as far as the east is from the west and cast into the sea of God's forgetfulness. And he says that their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. I'm thankful we can be forgiven of our sins and washed of them. But if I study human history correctly, and more importantly than that, if I read my Bible correctly, I see that there are certain consequences of sin that don't just go away certain things in our life that stick with us. We find that this long journey that this young man took caused some things to stick with him that he never got rid of. I want you to notice five things this morning. Look with me at verse number 30. Notice the statement that his older brother makes. He says, "...but there, but as soon as this thy son was come," now listen to this, "...which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him." The fatted calf. I want to say first off that this young man brought back some scars that he didn't have when he left home. There were some things. Sin had left its mark upon this young man very interesting. If you look carefully at that language uh, where the Bible says, devour thy living with harlots, the idea where it says "devoured thy living is not just talking about the monetary things, but it's literally saying that this young man's body was scarred from the life of sin that he had led. I could go into a lot more detail. I don't think most educated minds need me to. He had spent a life going from bed to bed, going from person to person, and when he comes home, he has the consequences of it that are Born in his body. Could I say that sin will give you physical scars that you can never get rid of? Let me tell you something there's folks, there's folks in this room, they hurt in places they wouldn't hurt if it wasn't for the life of sin that they. Had There's places and there's people in this room. They can't do what they want to do because of the life of sin that they live. You ever seen someone? I know you've seen it. I've seen it. I guess everybody has these faces of meth things. You know, they put them on the internet and everywhere else and just show the progression of a person that's addicted to methamphetamine and, and and just over a period of months, how they go from looking like a bright, vibrant, young, full of life and vigor, a young person that has their whole life in front of them, to just a year later, they look like they're a hundred years old sin has physical consequences sin will corrupt and decay your body there's people in this room that wish they could take back years of sin that they lived in there's people in this room can't breathe like they wish they could breathe. People in this room that can't work like they wish they could work. People in this room that can't go like they wish they could go. They could point back to points in there. You say, preacher, you're trying to make folks feel bad. No, listen, we've got a, we've got a pew full of young people up here that need this kind of preaching because the reality is the world isn't informing them of the hard side and the heartache and the tragedy that sin brings. We need to hear this. And and if you're one of them that's been through this, then you want them to hear this because you know what it's like. You know what sin can do to a person. He was physically scarred. But I'd say, and we've already read it, but in verse number 15 where he goes and he feeds the swine of this man that was a citizen of another country, I'd say he was spiritually scarred. I believe in spiritual scars. You say, oh, preacher, what do you mean? That's just fluff talk. That's no. There are things, let me tell you something, there's things that once you see, you can't unsee. There, there's folks in this room, I promise you, that they wish they didn't have to battle their flesh like they have to battle it because of things that they exposed themselves to in their younger years. There's things once you hear, you can't unhear. We were talking back of this, I don't remember who we were talking to, but we were talking about Alzheimer's patients. And Have you ever known someone with Alzheimer's, some kind of dementia, something of that effect? A lot of times in the later stages of it, uh, you know, their filter just goes. I mean, their, their filter is gone. And people that would never have used vulgar or coarse language, Alzheimer's sets in, their filter goes, and all of a sudden, I mean, they'll say things that'll make a sailor blush. You say, why is that, preacher? And I'm not fussing, I'm not blaming. We live in a world that's saturated with it. But let me tell you something, what goes in this comes out of this. What goes in comes out. And your brain will process and store away anything that is put within. They'll never create a computer that can match the, the remembrance. Now, some of y'all don't believe this. But the ability of the human brain to store information. Now, you may have lost your keyboard, but that don't mean it ain't in the hard drive. It's there. And there's things that we are spiritually scarred by because of what we've experienced. There's folks today, I, I, I was thinking while uh, while Miss Brenda was talking about the decision to be in church, let me say I wholeheartedly agree with what she said. That's a decision you make one time. There may be times when you're providentially hindered from being in the house of God. It's happened to me. It's happened to everybody. That time comes. I mean, listen, we're we're at a time right now where everybody's sick. I mean, if if you ain't sick, I'm wondering what you're taking and if I can get some of it, amen? Everybody's been sick. We have times when we're providentially hindered. But by and large, that's a decision you make one time. And this is the decision you make. If I can be there, I'm going to be there. If I can be there, I'm going to be there. You make that decision one time and it's settled for the rest of your life. But let me tell you something. There's people that struggle struggle with being in the house of God because of of times and periods in their life where they let themselves get out of the house of God. I I mean, I could name names of people that have lived a life with a pattern of absence from the house of God. They're not mad at anyone. They're not upset. They just never got it settled in their heart and life that the house of God was where they were going to be when the time came. I'm saying that when you get out and sin, it can scar you spiritually. There can going to be things you have to overcome, things that are hindrances to you, that, that for the rest of your life you're battling with. Not because it's a visible scar, but in your spirit and in your soul it's something you carry with you for the rest of you. There's people, I promise you, in this room that are haunted by sins that they committed 15, 20, 30 years ago. Things that even now, when they go into the prayer closet, they're asking forgiveness for it for the millionth time. Not because God hasn't forgiven it, but because they can't shake the guilt of it. Because of the way that it left a scar on their soul. And they're trying to get rid of it. I see that he brought some scars home that he didn't have before. Let me give you a second thing. Look with me at verse number 18. He says this, I will arise and go to my Father, and will say unto him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I see the scars that he brought back. He didn't have those scars when he left. But I see the shame that he brought back. When he set out down his daddy's driveway, there wasn't a stitch of shame anywhere in his life. I'm sure there were secret sins of the heart, but we have no reason to believe this young man had been anything other than an exemplary young man growing up. His father seemed to not have any real apprehension in dividing unto him his living. He seemed to be willing to do it. This was probably a young man that you would have looked at and would have thought that maybe he was a trustworthy young man. But now when he comes back up the driveway, after however long this has been, there is a shame that is hanging over him like a cloud that he must bear and deal with. Now I want you to notice, first off, that he was ashamed of his sin. Let me tell you something. I'm worried about people that aren't ashamed of their sin. You say, Preacher, how are we supposed to respond to our sin? With contrition, shame, and repentance. It doesn't bother me that people sin, because people are sinners. People are sinners. They all sin. But what bothers me, and this is what I see in churches today, is this attitude of, how dare you have a problem with my sin? How dare you have a problem with my sin? How dare the preacher get up and preach? And it hit my sin. How dare a Christian look at me and tell me that I've done wrong or that I have sinned? Let me tell you something. The true child of God with his heart where it needs to be, even if he sins and messes up, and he will sin and mess up, there is a shame over his sin. This young man comes home, and the first thing that he says, he doesn't say, oh, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, what a joy it is to be home. Oh, how excited I am to see my old bedroom again. The first thing he says, or the first thing he plans on saying, he doesn't get to say it, but the first thing he plans on saying is, Daddy, I've sinned, and I know it was wrong. I know it was wrong. Let me tell you something, we, we have so... We we have tried to make sin this docile, innocent, harmless thing. You know how we've tried to do that by emphasizing its universal nature. Sin is a universal thing. It's a universal problem. Everybody born in this world is born a sinner. Don't you believe that? The only person that was ever born in this world that wasn't born a sinner. Adam was born in innocence, and or I say born, they were formed in innocence. But Christ was the only one ever born, sinless. He's still sinless today. We're all sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's what we are. That is our very nature. And so, by virtue of that, you know what we like to say? We like to say, well, everybody sins. Well, sure, everybody sins. Everybody sins, but that don't mean that everybody lives in sin, and it doesn't mean you have to live in sin either. Everybody messes up. Everybody does something wrong. Everybody makes mistakes. That doesn't mean that you have to live a life of sin. It doesn't mean you have to live in, in, in the midst of heartache and misery and iniquity and wickedness. This man comes home, and he's ashamed of his sin. But I want you to notice a second thing. Look at verse number 19. Look what he says. Verse number 19, he says, "...and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." He's ashamed of his sin, but he's ashamed of himself. He's ashamed of himself. I don't know how to relate this the right way, but I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to help me with this. Listen, it's not about your, your ego. <laughs> It's not about your self-esteem. That's not what it's about. The world tells us that we have a self-esteem problem. Uh, The Bible says that no man ever yet hated his own flesh. We don't have a self-esteem problem. We have a pride problem in this world. But let me tell you this. It is a hindrance in your spiritual walk to be saddled with the guilt of your failures and your mistakes. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that we have, been, uh, we have been purged from a guilty conscience by the sprinkling of His blood. That, that word sprinkling, that's not implying the idea of sprinkling uh, as a false means of baptism. And, and sprinkling is a false means of baptism. I mean, I guess there there may be bigger problems a person might have than than sprinkling for baptism, but it is a problem to sprinkle for baptism because it's not a scriptural mode it's not a scriptural mean. It's not talking about sprinkling for baptism. It's hearkening back to the act of the sprinkling of the ashes of the red heifer from the book of Numbers. And that was a means of sanctifying the priest before they could go in and to the presence of God and minister before them. You'll hear a lot of times if you ever uh, look on any of these websites uh, that are, are are promoting the rebuilding of the temple and things like that. You'll hear the term red heifer. For, for years they've been trying to breed a a perfectly pure red heifer because right now all of the nation of Israel, every Levite uh, or or Levite so called in Israel, is ceremonially unclean. The only way that they 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 could, according to the Old Testament law, approach unto God and perform their office would to be sanctified or or cleansed by the sprinkling of the red heifer. Now, let me say, I'm thankful that Christ is my perfect sacrifice. I'm not advocating that they need to try to to, to breed a red heifer. I mean, that's their business. I'd wonder how good the beef tasted. I mean, that's how carnal I am. Amen? I'd care less whether they breed a red heifer or not. I'm not going to give money for them to try to breed a red heifer, not unless they're going to butcher it and bring me a side of beef. I could care less about them trying to breed a, a, a red heifer, but that's what it's hearkening back to. It's dealing with the idea of the priests being purged clean so that they could go in and minister in the presence of God. And let me tell you something. The Bible says that we've been purged from a guilty conscience. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something, I'm not worthy by myself to go into the presence of God. I have no place in the prayer closet in and of myself. I can't come boldly under the throne of grace in and of myself. But the Bible says that through His blood, we have boldness and access Amen. through Him. Let me tell you something, it's a hindrance to your spiritual walk to be saddled with guilt concerning your sin and feeling unworthy to come in. It's unscriptural to not come boldly to the throne room. It, it, it's, it's not scriptural. The scriptural way to go to our prayer closet is boldly. Boldly. This young man said, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. I'm glad his daddy didn't listen to that. <laughs> I'm glad when we get feeling sorry for ourselves and we say, Lord, I'm no more worthy to be called my son. He don't even listen to that. Aren't you glad of that this morning? We see the shame that he brought back. I want you to notice a third thing, and I'm going to try to hurry. Look what it says in verse number 13. The Bible says, "...and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living." I I, I believe not only did he bring back some scars and some shame, but I believe this young man brought back some stories that he could have told. We don't know what may have happened on that long journey But no doubt there were some stories that he could tell. Some of you in this room, there's some stories you could tell. If your flesh would let you, you could tell some stories about the way that you once lived. And let me say that there's times when the Spirit permits us in testifying of the goodness of God that we've got some stories that we can tell. But let me just give this word to our young people. As glamorous as it may seem, to hear people talk about how low they went before they were lifted out, it's a lot better to never go that low in the first place. I remember hearing someone tell a story one time uh, about, a, it was a preacher telling a story about another preacher that he had preached in a revival went uh, with, and uh, th- this preacher looked at him and he said, boy, we had this meeting uh, last week, and we had uh, something like 20, 20 adults saved. And he said, and those weren't just kids, those was adults and that just stuck wrong with this preacher. And that preacher looked at me and he said, Man, I hate to hear that. The preacher looked at him and said, What do you, what do you mean you hate to hear that? We had 20 adults that were saved. What do you mean you hate to hear that? He said, I wish it was 20 young people that hadn't spent years out in the midst of sin and heartache and tragedy. I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful God can save those that are in the depths and the, and, and the mire. I'm thankful for that. But let me tell you something. To our young people today, you'd be a lot better off if you didn't have those stories to tell. And a little secret about some of the older folks that tell these stories, they're just telling them just to glorify God. They're not trying to brag on sin or glorify sin. They would to God that they didn't have those stories to tell. This young man had some stories that he could tell you. I think probably this young man had some stories he could tell you about how easy it is to ruin one's life. How easy it is. Man, this young man, we only know, listen now, we only know of one mistake, really, that this young man made in his entire life. All oh, we could say, well, it was a mistake to not go home sooner. It was a mistake to go and join himself to a city. I, I get that. But the whole purpose of the parable of the prodigal son is to draw our focus back to that point when he accepted the inheritance and set foot out of his daddy's house. There's lots of folks... That if that as they tell you that story of heartbreak and heartache, they could draw it all back to one moment of decision that they made. One moment of decision. Every drunk could tell you about their first drink. And every dope can could tell you about their first high. That moment when they made a decision. And that decision led them to a life of sin. You say, oh, you're being dramatic, preacher. I'm being realistic with you. I'm being realistic with you. I've seen young people. I mean, I'm am still young. You know that. I know I'm fat. I know I'm balding. I know I'm getting. But but I'm still fairly young. I can tell you stories about young people that I know, and I could trace it back to that moment in their life when they made a decision. I could trace it back. Oh Lord, help me to preach the right thing here. I could I could trace it back to that job they took. Say, is it a sin to take a job? No. No, not a sin. If a man doesn't work, he ought not eat. Not a sin to take a job. But I can trace it back to that moment when they said that job's more important than church. Trace it back to that point where they said that boyfriend or that girlfriend's more important than church, more important than the Lord. Trace it back to that moment where they said that group of friends is more important to me than my relationship with the Lord. I believe he'd tell us how easy it is. To ruin one's life. But I believe he'd tell us probably how essential it is to reverence one's life. I think if he could tell us anything this morning, I think if we were to have, if we put on the sign, we're going to have the the, the younger son from the parable of, of the prodigal son, we're going to have the prodigal son here to preach. I kind of believe that the theme of his message would be this: that you only have one life. So don't mess it up. You only have one life. So don't mess it up. Don't waste it on sin. You only have one life. So don't let the devil have it. I believe there's some stories that he'd probably tell. Let me give you another one. I believe he brought back some scars and some shame and some stories. But I want you to notice the soberness that he brought back. The seriousness that he brought back. Or we could even say this if we wanted to. The psychology that he brought back. Look what it says in verse number uh, 18. Or right, I tell you what, let's go back a little further and, and look what it says in verse number 17. The Bible says, "And when he came to himself, you know what that means? That literally means when he got in his right mind, when he started thinking straight, when he got his head where it needed to be." Oh, there ain't no telling how many. And I don't mean this morning. Our young people have been very attentive and respectful, and I don't mean that. But there's no telling how many times that young people have sat in a preaching service and made fun of the man of God as he preached, and scoffed within themselves and laughed and said, that ain't never going to be me. That ain't never going to be me. I'm not going to mess up like that. I don't know but what this young man might have had that same thing going on in the inward recesses of his heart. I don't know but what this young man may have thought within himself. That'll never be me. I've heard stories of it, but that'll never be me. All of a sudden he begins to hear about this far country, and this far country starts to sound pretty good. Let me tell you something, it would help us, and I'm not against TV. The only thing I got against TV is they say it adds 10 pounds. And I got at least three or four TVs in my house. And I think I've traced that as the root of my problem, amen? I'm not, I'm not against TV. But let me tell you something, a lot of us, we'd have a better, we'd have better progress with our young people if we were not letting the far country run advertisements across our TV 8, 10 hours a day. I don't have a problem with TV, but I have a problem with lots of things that are on TV. And we might be a lot better off if we quit letting the far country come across our television or our computer. Or or, or we might be better off if we quit letting our young people be friends with folks that just moved from the far country. Don't you think so? Somewhere this young man heard about the far country. My suspicion is he probably heard about it from the servants. I don't know. But somewhere he heard about the far country, and all of a sudden it starts sounding good to him. He starts liking the idea of what he's heard. Oh, my, if you could see him at the beginning and then see him at the end, you'd find out that his thinking about the place that he left changed. Now he's in the pig slop, and you know the only place he can think of is home. All those years he spent at home thinking about the far country. Now he's in the far country thinking about home. Some of you, you were, you were in the military. And uh, how many of you were in the military? Raise your hand for me. In the military. You ever wonder what made you make that decision? (laughs) I mean, God bless you. We need. I respect honor and reverence and love our military. But but, uh, was there a point when you were serving where you thought, what in the world was I thinking? They didn't drag me away in chains. I made the decision to do this. When you was at home, you was thinking about all the exotic places you was going to get to go. You didn't know it was going to be some fort in Alabama or Texas or Georgia. All the exotic places you'd get to go. Oh, but you probably remember that time when you're sitting in the barracks and thinking, oh, I miss home. Oh, I miss home. Well, I'm not likening the military to the life of sin by any means, but I'm sure this young man, if he could have talk to himself before he left home. If the prodigal at the end of the story could talk to the prodigal at the beginning of the story. You know what I think he probably would have said? He would have probably said, you know, you ain't got it as bad here as you think you do. You don't have it as bad here as you think you do. I grew up in a Christian school. And it's what you hear all the time in a Christian school. Why well, I just hate being so sheltered. That's what you hear. And I probably said it. I grew up I mean, in Christianity. That's all you hear. Well, I just hate being so sheltered. No, I'll tell you what you want. You want at the age of 14 to be hooked on drugs. You want at the age of 14 to be hooked on booze. You want at the age of 14 to try to be deciding how you're going to raise a baby that you don't have a husband for. That's what you want, right? You don't want to be sheltered, right? Talk to a few 19, 20-year-olds and they might say, you know, you ain't got it as bad as you think. You better praise God for your godly home. It's keeping you from a lot of heartache, keeping you from a lot of uh, tears and a lot of misery. I believe his thinking changed about the place that he left, but I think his thinking thing changed about the person that he loved. I can hear him, man. Well, I just wish my dad had quit running my life. Can't you hear him say that? I wish he'd quit telling me what to do. One of these days, it's going to be my money anyway. Why oh, not he just quit telling me what to do? It ain't none of his business. Any. Boy, I mean, I, I'm not that far out of teenage years. I can play it real good. You hear that, don't you? I might go somewhere and slam a door just to get the full effect, you know? <laughs> Stay out of my life. <clears throat> oh, my. oh, man, but now in the pig slop, he says, I just miss my daddy. My only hope is my Daddy. There's someone that loved me. If I could just go back home, I, I know I can't be a son anymore, but maybe I can be a servant. Oh, how I miss my father. Oh, how I miss him. And let me tell you something. You've heard it said a hundred times that when you were 16, you knew everything in the world. And by the time you was 21, you was amazed at how much you'd forgot. You got to appreciate the people that God's given you in your life. I don't mean it just to young people. I mean to older people too. You might find out that those people, you might find out that that friend you've got that nags you all the time about doing the right thing is the only thing keeping your life from crumbling to pieces. You might find out that that spouse uh, that's always trying to help you and guide you along the right path, you might find that they're the only thing keeping your marriage together. Truth of the matter is, his thinking changed about his daddy. Now all of a sudden... He wishes he was home. I want to show you a final thing, and I'm done. Once you notice that he brought back some scars and some shame and some stories and some soberness. But we see that he brought home some sorrowfulness that he didn't have before. Can I say this? Sin changes a person. Sin changes a person. I, and I'm going to try to say this as respectfully as I can and be and be as humble as I can, not knowing the experience and background of of everyone in this room. But if you've ever known someone that saw action in battle, you know that that changes a person. That changes a person. They're not the same after they've been through as traumatic an experience as that. They're different. They carry themselves differently. They, they talk about things differently. There's a happiness, but that happiness is always tempered with the memories of experiences they can never shake. Let me say that in the same way, sin can bring a sorrow into a person's life. That though they may know the joy of the Lord, that joy is always tempered by the things that they've experienced and the traumatizing experiences that they've had. He had a sorrowfulness, and you can tell that by two things. I want you to notice that his sorrowfulness was manifested first off by his honesty. Verse 21, And the Son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy Son. He's not rejoicing when he's coming up the driveway. He's not jumping and leaping for joy. Instead, he's being honest about his sins. We were talking this morning in, in, in Sunday school, and we were actually talking about the topic of divorce. And I, I'm not going to preach a message on divorce this morning, but people asked me, say, well, they didn't ask me, but they kind of asked around this, and I talked too much, so I wound up dealing with it. <laughs> people ask me all the time, though. They say, are you for or against divorce? Well, that, that, that's, a, that's kind of a silly question, isn't it? That's the kind of question that someone that's never been divorced asks you. Or they'll say, do you believe God is for or against divorce? Let me be very clear with what I'm about to say, and I want you to pay close attention lest we have a misunderstanding. God is for marriage. God's against divorce. You say, how do you think God feels about divorce?" I think God believes divorce happens. You say, that's a sidestep. No, that's not a sidestep. What did Christ say? He said that Moses wrote this because of the hardness of your hearts. Now, it wasn't Moses writing it. It was God writing it. But Christ is pointing to an imperfect covenant and showing that for sin-fallen man, divorce is a reality. Then he goes on to say, but what God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. It's not a question of is God for or against divorce. God's against divorce and God's for marriage. Does that mean that if a person gets divorced, God throws them away? No. That's nonsense. That That is a construct of a pharisaical hierarchy developed within conservative churches. And I'm as conservative and fundamental as it gets, neighbor. I mean, I put the fun in fundamental. You understand that? But this notion that if a person goes through divorce, that God crumples them up like an old gum wrapper and throws them to the trash heap of eternity, that's straight out of hell. God doesn't do that with you over your sin. He won't do that with them over their sin. I'm aware. I'm aware of what the Bible says about the office of a pastor and of a deacon. But let me say this. God still uses divorced people. God uses them. God blesses them. The same way God blesses you even though you've messed up. The same way God blesses me even though that I've messed up. We all make mistakes. But to say God is for let me tell you something, God's not for divorce. The only people I've ever met that are for divorce is people that have never been divorced. The people that I've met that have been through divorce hate divorce. They've seen what it does to their families, to their children. They don't want to experience that anymore. You say, are you for it or against it? I'm against it. I'm against it. But I'm for divorced people just like I'm for people that haven't been divorced. If they love the Lord, I want to see God use them. And God wants to use them. I don't know. We're, we're preaching on the prodigal son, but God has something for somebody here today. Because I don't know why the Lord is dealing with me about this, but I'm going to try to mind Him. I think God still uses people that have been through that, don't You? I'm thankful for that this morning. You say, can can people find happiness? Sure they can. Sure they can. Can they find fulfillment? Sure they can. Sure they can. Because let me tell you something. He meets our every need. He meets our every need. I'm thankful God didn't throw me away when I've messed up. God help us when we think God throws other people away when they mess up. I understand there may be capacities that it's not good for them to, to, to serve in a particular capacity of this or that. I'm aware of that. I'm a pragmatist. But this notion that God throws people away, let me tell you something, that's out of hell. That's a lie of the devil. What did Christ say? Of them which thou hast given me, I have lost none. No matter what mistakes that they made. Say, so what about Judas? He never belonged to the Lord in the first place. Those that belong to Him, friend, He ain't never lost. Well, whoever that's for, thank the Lord for that, because you may have needed it. You must have for Him to take me along that detour for you to get it. Amen? Manifested by His honesty, but it's manifested by His humility. I'm done preaching. Can I give you three things that He didn't lose? I just want to give them to you, tell them to you. There are some things that He lost that He had with Him when He left. There are some things that He brought back That he didn't have with him when he left. But I'm thankful that there's some things that he had when he left and that he never lost. I want you to note first off that he never lost his father's hope. Bible says that when his father saw him, when his father saw him afar off, his father ran and hugged him and kissed him. He said, I've messed up, preacher. I'm out of the will of God. Just give up on me. I'm not going to give up on you because God ain't give up on you. God's not giving up on you. He still had the hope of his father. His daddy would every day stand on his front porch and stare down his driveway just waiting to see his son come around the corner. Can I say that you may have given up on God, but God's not giving up on you? You may say, There's no way, but God still has a way for you. You may say, I can never come home, but God is still looking for you to come down the driveway. He never lost his father's hope, but he never lost his father's heart either. This is when he saw him afar off, he ran and fell on him and kissed him on the neck. I I understand, man. I would have felt like he did. I mean, I I would have been thinking, Man, my daddy's going to have my hide. I'm going to have to come in. I'm going to have to beg. I'm going to have to kiss his feet. I'm going to have to plead with him just to be a servant. But you know what he found out? He found out that if he'd come home, his daddy still loved him. Daddy didn't love him as a servant. His daddy loved him as a son. He comes in and he says, I've sinned against you. I'm no more worthy to be called a son. Just let me be a servant. I'm sorry. You know, his father never said a thing about any of that. Oh, it sounded good. Just make me a servant, not a son. His daddy said, stop that nonsense. Put this robe on. Put these shoes on. Put this ring on. Are you hungry, son? They're killing the fatted calf. Welcome home! Your daddy's proud to see you. He I've messed up, preacher. Yeah, join the club. Join the club. You've got a heavenly Father that loves you. That loves you. And we see finally that he never lost his father's home. There was a place for Him. There was a place for Him to come home to. There was a place of restoration. There was a place of redemption. There was a place of fellowship. You may be here this morning. You may say, Preacher, I've I've started off down that driveway. You may say, Preacher, I'm I'm living and I'm having a good time. Or you may say, Preacher, I'm in the mire of the pig pen. Let me tell you something. Wherever you're at, you still have a heavenly father that loves you and is looking for you and is accepting of you. If you'll come to him, friend, he'll forgive you this morning. You can be in fellowship with him with our heavenly.